to places and it's just, it's hard to really think, man, what am I going to do with this one today? How can I possibly apply this? Like, how can, this, how can I realistically live this one out? And if you read through some passages and like, especially like Old Testament stuff sometimes, you get through like Leviticus and like Deuteronomy, you get through the laws and you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know what that was all about, but I'll go on with the rest of my day. This morning's kind of nice because we're going to read from a passage and we'll be talking about a story and the message will be really focused on a question that all of us at some point in time certainly hear, deal with, have read about. It's something that's like in our faces right now. You don't always, as you read through the Bible, you don't always have that privilege where it just really stands out, like it really sticks out. It's like a sore thumb. Like you just see it. It's there. And so it's nice. It's, it's kind of special and it just, it helps a lot. And it's nice to see how God handled this type of situation and this type of question and the different dynamics that are involved. Like what's really important with it, what's really not important with it. And so what we'll focus on uh, today is how God, you know, how He handles people's hearts and more importantly, we're always faced with that thing of, well, you know, which way is necessarily the right way to God? I mean, I work with a lot of coworkers, and their belief and their stance is, well, you know, as long as you're praying to God and you're sincere about your faith, you're sincere about your beliefs, that is really what's important. And really, everyone will kind of find their way to God if they're really sort of consistent with that. You know sincere intentions as far as your faith goes. Like, how important is that? What does God really think about that? Is that all that really matters? I mean, how can we really account for some young child right now in a Brazilian jungle who's never really heard about Jesus Christ? You know, what does this stand when he gets to heaven? Um, or us here now when we just have a wealth of it, but it's been perverted so many times in so many ways, it's just kind of like... I don't... Sometimes, you know, some people I know uh, that are musicians, they just have a hard time saying that they're even a Christian band sometimes just because of the connotations that come with it and the way they've been dealt with before. And so it's like, I don't know, it's just kind of... It can get confusing uh, and frustrating. And we're going to look at a guy today where he was religious, he was sincere, and his intentions were good, and we're going to see how God handled that situation and what really happened. And so we'll start off today... Uh, talking about a picture of a guy who was around in the 60s. And we're going to show that picture? Hopefully we'll show it. I don't know. Hopefully it'll come up there. There he is. So this guy, I don't know if you know who this guy is. Um, this guy is Governor George Wallace. He was a governor of Alabama in the 60s, 1963. And so January 14th, 1963, Governor George Wallace, he's the guy that's famous for saying, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And that's what this guy did. That's what he said. That was his stance. And he was adamant about that. And, uh, you know, when you hear that clip and when you see this guy and read some of uh, his viewpoints and he tried running for presidency a few times and failed and just, it just angers you, you know, inside. And you just see how he was so warped in his thinking and he had his biases. And, uh, he was more about really just tolerating people instead of really loving them and having the same heart that God has towards people. You know, he just saw one thing, skin color, 
And God sees so much more. Sees so much more. And so many times I read through the Bible, and you think, you know, what, where was God as far as like women's rights go, as far as like stuff that happened back then? And where was He as far as rights goes, like addressing that as slaves? And like really coming hard after that, like aggressively. He didn't seem like He really came really hard after it, at least when I've read it before. And then you see this guy, you know, uh, with this stand up there, and it just, I don't know, it just boils up in me like, man, that's just so wrong. Just, just so wrong. It's not right. It's not right. And it's amazing now, 50 years later, I mean, whether you voted for him or not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, an African American man now has a chance to be president of the United States. I mean, whether you vote for him or not, it doesn't matter. But the fact that he has an opportunity, that is unbelievable. And now more women today graduate college than men. I mean, it's amazing how far we've come, and that's a good thing, and we're headed in the right direction. And you like to see that, and you like to see the playing field get leveled for the things that are really, really important. And they struggled with this same dynamic as far as interpersonal relationships, as far as who people were back then, back in Bible times. And it was... Whoever is the pure Hebrew, the pure Jew, they are God's chosen people. Like, they are. And whoever the Gentile is, the uncircumcised person, they're like the outcasts. In fact, if you even associate with them and kind of hang out with them, you're considered to be unclean. And you had to go through a series of rituals and purifications to make yourself acceptable and now pleasing before God. And so it was similar. You know, they had this, we are God's chosen, and you are, you know, who you are. And you might have to associate with us, and if you want to kind of come into our circle and sort of believe what we believe and be a part of us, you know, you have to get circumcised and do all these different laws and these different things, and then, you know, you can be a part, but you're not really a part. You know, you like, you did the stuff to get involved, but your bloodline, it's not really like ours. And so we're going to look at that, dy- that dynamic today, because... This chapter of Acts, based on some you know, pastors that I know, some commentaries actually that I even read, they say, man, this is like the most important chapter in Acts. And I'm like, man, that's pretty heavy duty because we just read about the Holy Spirit coming on the scene, the birth of the church, uh, Stephen. I mean, there's so many unbelievable things. He's like, no, this is important. Why would they say that? Well, they say this is uh, arguably the most important chapter in Acts because now the church is going to start to come to the Gentiles. And that is huge. It started in Jerusalem, moved a little bit to Samaria, where there's still, you know, kind of a half-breed of the Jewish people. But now it's going to come to Gentiles, to us. God is now actually taking this thing outside of the Hebrew Jewish people. And this is a very, very, very big deal. And in fact, when it happens, the apostles don't even know how to handle it. They're like, whoa, 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 hold on, you went and hung out and told these people about and like, what is that all about? And so this is a big deal. So we're going to take a look at this stuff today. So if you have your Bibles, let's take a look. Um, We're going to pick up right at the end of chapter 9, just really with one verse. Uh, We we missed a couple of things last week as far as like verse 32 um, down to about verse 40. And basically, last time we talked about Saul of Tarsus, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about his conversion, which was an unbelievable story. Uh, then we talk about after his conversion, he just 
he's just uh, on fire and just wants to get involved. He starts trying to tell everybody, arguing about how Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the one that the Jews have been waiting for. Um, and then we talked last week about how he needed to get prepared, how he needed to be trained. And so he's really away right now. And God is just working with him. He's just training him. He's developing for uh, the ministry and for how God is going to use him. And so he's just developing. And so now Peter comes back on the scene. Right? We, this book of Acts is just kind of really the story of about Paul and Peter. Those are like the two main guys. And so Paul takes a break now. Peter comes back on the scene. And just to summarize real quick, uh, when Peter comes on the scene... He comes with power in verses, uh, you know, 32 down to um, 35. He, he heals a woman. In verses 36 through 40, uh, he rises another woman from the dead. I mean, the power of God is just on this guy, and he is just doing miraculous things. And one uh, sentence that I want to pick up on right before we start getting into chapter 10 today uh, was right at the end in verse 43. It says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. That doesn't really seem that important, but something significant. The title of this thing is, is Tearing Down Walls. Because God is really, at this point in time, when He's about to bring the church and the message of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, He's really tearing down some walls like we talked about before. I mean, there was this dynamic of we're the Jewish people, the chosen people, the chosen ones, and now God is bringing it to everybody. And so He's got to tear down some walls and shake some things up for that to happen. And the fact that Peter stays in Joppa with a tanner named Simon, it's interesting, a tanner, Right, they would always be around kind of like dead people. They would have carcasses and uh, possibly, probably was a Gentile. And Peter was staying with them and hanging out with them. And so it's like, that's kind of interesting just to kind of pick up just right off the start. It's like, wow, like God is already kind of working on this situation. It just seems subtle. And it doesn't seem like much. But we're going to find out later um, that it actually caused some heat for this. You know, staying with this guy and associating with this stuff. So it's interesting. So here's where we pick up. So chapter 10, verse 1. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, and was known as the Italian Regiment. So this guy is uh, an Italian Regiment. He's uh, probably a commanding officer. And in verse 2 it says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And so we open up the scene with a Gentile, right? Cornelius, commander in the uh, Italian regiment. He was devout and God-fearing and gave generously. Right? Pretty upstanding guy. It's significant. We'll come back to it. And as he's praying, and it's interesting, he's doing it about 3 in the afternoon, so he's kind of pattern, uh, following the pattern of the Jews. That's usually when they would pray. Right around 3 in the afternoon. They usually do about 3 times a day, right? In the morning, 3 in the afternoon, and then again at night to kind of close out the day. So as he's praying, he had a vision, and he saw an angel of God. And in verse 4 it says, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a, name, a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So you've got a couple of Simons, so it's easier if we just talk about Simon the Tanner and Peter. It's just easier to refer to that way. And so the angel tells him, he said, all your good deeds, the stuff that he's doing, your, your obedience to me, I've noticed. 
You know, it's not going unnoticed. Um, and what I want you to do is I want you to send to Joppa and go get this guy Peter. Verse 7, it says, When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So he reacts right away to this message from the angel of the Lord. So God's working on Cornelius, right? He's kind of preparing him for something to happen. So now the story switches a little bit to now we're going to see how God is also working on Peter at the other part of this situation. It says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet, or in some versions like a large sail, being let down to earth by its four corners. So it's like this crazy vision of this big sheet, big sail, being let down to earth on the four corners. And he's in a trance-like state. And it's just, there's really not much more information about this trance-like state, but I don't know, that's what he's in. And so it says in verse 12, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. His response is, Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Right? It's a big deal. On this sheet, there's just all these animals and things that Hebrews just were not supposed to eat and really affiliate with. And God is now telling him, Get up and eat. And so it's like, You know, I have never done that before. Why should I start doing this now? It says in verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And I would even underline that part in, my, in your Bible because that's, that's going to be a significant phrase. In verse 16, this happened three times. So it happened a few times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So it's like around lunchtime, he's already hungry up on the roof, he's praying, and now God like puts this food in front of him and God's like, go ahead and eat it. And he's like, well, no, I can't. I mean, you told me before, but now you're saying yes, and then I don't... You know, he feels like he's getting some mixed messages here. So now he's like, what, what do I do with that? Because it didn't really seem like he had a really great interpretation on that. So verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So he's trying to figure it out. Meanwhile, people show up. Verse 19, While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So in verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him, You have to come to this house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So God preparing Cornelius, God preparing Peter, and God tells him, Hey, go with these guys. He has this vision of the sheet with the food, and it's confusing. He's not, still not quite sure. And God's like, Well, just go with these guys. You know, He's not getting the whole story. He's just being obedient to God, one step at a time. And we'll kind of see where this thing leads. So it says, Then the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa and went along. So he took also some other people with him and they kind of set out. 
So verse 24, The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. So he shows up there and Cornelius just greets him. And I'll just pause for a second. We've been doing a lot of reading. I'll come right back. But here's just a quick map just to kind of give you an idea. You can't really see. It's not really blown up very well. But basically, Caesarea over here, uh, Jerusalem uh, area was kind of down right over here. So he heads up over there. Joppa was over there. and So he's over in that area. And on the next slide, it's interesting to know that this right here is in the, the Basilica in Rome. And that's St. Peter. And it's interesting... When you go there in Rome at the St. Basilica, you go see Peter. The tradition is, you go there, you see St. Peter, and what you do, you see that lady there, uh, what you do is you usually kiss his right foot. That's what you do. And so it's interesting, in this passage, Cornelius gets down and says, he's like, no, no, get up, you know, I'm just a man. And so, if Peter saw this thing going down, I'm sure he'd be like, what are you guys doing? That is totally not what I meant. That's not the idea. And in fact, that right foot over there, um, they actually had to... Uh, had to repair it because it got so funky and gross from people kissing it and just getting messed up over time that it's just like, you know, so it's just a radical dynamic of just, you know, what God really intended. It's just, it's not intended to bring glory to man here. Like, God is doing what God does through people. I mean, God could have just chose that angel, could have chose that angel when he was talking to Cornelius and said, hey, listen, this is Jesus Christ, could have given him the gospel and probably would have been some pretty good results. And Cornelius would have understood, oh, this is the message of Jesus Christ, this is what I should do, and all that kind of thing. But he didn't choose to go that route. He's choosing to use Peter and these other people involved because that's what God does. Why does He use us people to do these things of His work? I don't know. He gets joy and pleasure out of it. He loves us. It's what He does. He takes joy out of just taking imperfect people like us and just using us as vessels, as part of His plan. And He just sits there as like a proud dad being like, yeah, you know? So it's just, I had to throw that in there just because it's just, I wonder what Peter would think. So we'll come back to the story. So he tells him, get up, get up, I'm only a man. So verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So Cornelius knew that he was coming. He tells everybody to show up at his house. He's like, hey, this guy Peter's coming. Something might be happening. Come, come hang out. So verse 28 says, he said to them, you are well aware that is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. So you see, right, these dynamics of the uh, walls having to be broken down. It's even against their law. It says, but God, said, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Right now, he's starting to piece it together a little bit, starting to make a little more sense. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask, why you sent for me. So verse 30, Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house, praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tamar, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Just a very, very cool situation. And now we're going to see the culmination of what God does when He's preparing 
one person over here preparing another group of people over here, what's going to happen when that preparing comes together in God's way and in God's timing? Very cool. So verse 34, it says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Huge. This is dynamic. Must have hit him like a ton of bricks. This is huge. But accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with Him. Verse 39, Peter and the kind of the group that he brought, he says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Like, we were there. We saw this stuff. It happened. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He is just like giving him the gospel, everything, not leaving anything out, making sure these people understand what's going on. And as Peter, right, he's giving, like he's just, you know, preaching, giving a message, whatever, giving the gospel. He gets interrupted. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. How did that happen? What did it look like? Verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished, right? These walls are being broken down that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Right? And isn't that what happened when the church first came on the scene way back in Acts chapter 1? They were in a room, said like tongues of fire from the Spirit like came on people, they started talking in other languages and talking about the wonders of God. And now it's happening now to these Gentiles, unbelievers, uncircumcised people. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And this is interesting. Just a quick little side note if you're kind of a uh, little Bible student, right? It's interesting how the Holy Spirit came before they came, before they were baptized. A lot of people say, you know, I've got to get baptized, I've got to do this thing right away. But sometimes God switches up the order and the Holy Spirit came right before they even got baptized with water. So an interesting side note. Um, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So this unbelievable situation. God preparing Cornelius, God preparing Peter, bringing them together. Peter's trying, he's like getting into the message, telling all about this stuff. God just is like, throws the interruption in there of the Holy Spirit and just, man, it takes over and they're like, man, you got to stay with us and just an awesome example of breaking down barriers, taking down walls, uh, segregation today, tomorrow, forever. You know, just uh, that whole nonsense, that whole mindset of just separating ourselves. For what? You know, it doesn't 
That's not it. That is not it. So let's take a look just at a couple things we can take away from it. First thing is that this really reflects an attitude that we should have before God. And hopefully it'll come up. We'll see what happens. Right? It reflects an attitude that we should have about others and about each other. They say that you know, at the foot of the cross is level ground. It's level ground. Don't matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, what your bloodline is, really doesn't matter. How bad you might think you are. I mean, Paul said, I am the worst of sinners. I'm the worst. I don't even know if I'd really argue with him. Like, he was putting him in jail. He was persecuting him. He was killing him. Okay, maybe you have that one one. But, it doesn't matter who you are, what the past was, what goes on in your head, what you know about that nobody else knows about. God is still willing to say, I'm right here. I love you. I want you. And if God wants them, I had to throw in the other part too. Go back for one second. Also about each other. Sometimes we can just get so caught up in bitterness and just with funk towards another person where it just really affects us praying for them and caring about them and we're just like, man, I just want them to get what's coming to them. I just want them to get what's coming to them. And it's just not the best attitude to have, right? Because God wants them to. He wants them so badly. He's their dad too. And, you know, there's a whole past and a whole thing of why those people are the way that they are. And God really wants to give us the eyes to see people just really how He's seeing them. What's really going on with them. And that's what is really important. And this bullet point with those verses on the next slide is really just reinforced. In Romans 2.11, right, says, For God does not show favoritism. He is just not His thing, right? He looks at the heart. That's what He cares about. And in Galatians 3.28, huge verse, right? This one just like, as soon as I read this and think about this stuff, this one just comes to my mind just pretty much immediately. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so I started talking off, like, talking about how I was like, man, it didn't really seem like God came really hard and heavy towards, you know, slaves and women's rights and, you know, just civil rights in general. It just seemed to be like this separation. But just for the fact that Paul is writing this stuff, and this is like the attitude that, we're supposed to, that we have to go forth with, this was so radical. So radical. I mean, it just seems like words on a page if you could just read it over. But this is huge. And God really was, way back then, Jesus Christ was already addressing those issues of slavery, women's rights, civil rights. He was already doing it. How was He doing it? He was doing it by getting at the heart first. God knows you get at the heart of someone and you change that to what it really should be and what really should be the focus that would just come right out. Then you got the person. Right? You get the heart to change that they're... We're all sinners. God loves us all. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've been, who you know. Get people to understand that and that His gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. That already just breaks down those barriers. Jew, Gentile, slave. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so what we're going to do this morning, uh, is we're also going to reinforce this a little bit. We're going to have uh, we're going to share some communion together. 
um, just to talk about this. And actually, real quick, before we get to the communion part, um, I don't want to leave out the fact, because I started off with it, I don't want to leave off the fact about this guy Cornelius. Very interesting, right? Cornelius, devout, God-fearing, gave money to the poor. Pretty much any pastor that you talk to, most commentaries that you read, I still have yet to find one that doesn't say this, they all say, and everyone pretty much all says, they don't believe that Cornelius himself was saved. They don't believe that Cornelius was saved. Even though he was religious, and he was diligent about it. I mean, he gave what he had, he prayed regularly, tried to be an upright, outstanding guy, but a lot of them would say he, he wasn't saved. And that wasn't it, that wasn't enough. And it shouldn't be, right? Because we just read that we're, we're all sinners. We're, it's all level ground. It doesn't matter what you can do. You're not really offering anything back to God. He's already done it. Jesus Christ already went to the cross. You can't add to it. You can't do it. And so it's interesting, in this day and age, right, the sincere intentions of faith, is that going to get you in there? I don't think so. If you've heard the message about Jesus Christ and you've been exposed to it, now you have a responsibility to it. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? And Jesus just, man, He just said it. It's either this way or this way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That doesn't leave much wiggle room. Right? It just doesn't. And so now, what we'll do is, we're going to take some communion now. And um, this will actually be our first time, like as a church, as Calvary Chapel and Architect, taking communion. So this is, this is nice. And, you know, it's a time meant to reflect on what God, what Jesus Christ had done for us. And it says that, you know, we take this communion in anticipation of till His return. We take this communion by recognizing His death, what He did, the sacrifice, until He comes back. That's why we take it. We do in remembrance of Him. And so, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, this is something that you don't want to do. Paul, says, Paul in fact says, you know what, you're actually probably guilty of sinning if you take it and you don't understand what you're actually doing. So it's better just to like, let the elements pass by and just not take the communion and kind of ask God about it and really consider your need for Him. So I'd ask when we do communion, if you're, not, if you're in a place with God and you're just not quite sure about it, it's better off just not to take it. If you're in that place you're not quite sure about, but now you feel like, you know, I want to take that step now and that's something I need to do and that'll be my first step as far as committing my life to Christ, that is what you want. What a better step than taking communion right now to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to pass those out. And we have John and Dan over here. They'll pass them out for you. The point of communion, how did it originate? Where did it start? Well, right before Jesus Christ went to the cross, before the Garden of Gethsemane, where He was there, and He was praying. And it said that, man, He was praying so hard. It was like drops of blood that was just coming off Him. And He was just like, God, if there's any other way that we can do this thing, you know, let's do it, because I'm just in agony. But it was nice that He didn't stop there. He goes, you know, whatever your will be done. Whatever your will be done. And prior to that garden, He had the Last Supper with the disciples. They were there in the upper room. They were having dinner together. 
And you remember, Judas was also at the... You can start passing them out. We'll start with the bread. Go ahead. Huh? Yeah, it'll be after. You can pass them out just so people have it. So they'll pass out the elements. Um, and so they're up there in the room together, and Judas is there. And Jesus said, now... This is going to be a new covenant for you. The reason why you're doing this is because this is a new covenant. All those old rules, old laws, it's all been passed away. Me going to the cross, I'm actually going to fulfill all that sin and debt that you could never make up on your own. Because it said that even in the Old Testament, when they gave those sacrifices and you know they used the scapegoat, and they did all those things that God asked them to do. It said in Hebrews that it never even ever took away their sins. It never took the sins away. So, Jesus had to fulfill that. And so what we do is they just passed out the bread. And so what we'll do, maybe I can snag a piece of that too. There we go. And so, at the end, so when they were sitting there at the table... Jesus said that this, uh, this bread right here is my flesh and that you should take it and remember to me. And so we'll take it together. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll pass out the juice that's supposed to represent the wine. And in the blood of Jesus, that's really what covers us, you know, before God. His righteous, His pure blood that we could never get on our own. And it says that when God sees us, He sees the perfect blood of Jesus that just covers us. And that's why we sing that song in the beginning, man, you are worthy, worthy, worthy. So worthy, because my own blood could never get me in there. And the blood of anyone else could never get us in there. It had to be the perfect blood of Jesus. Oh, it's not going right here. Right here. Thanks. And it said so when they were there at the table, he said that this wine, this juice that we got, right, it doesn't really matter. It's about observing what he said, he said that this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the new covenant. Foundation of our faith where it's the relationship with Jesus Christ. Based on what he's done. And we, all we have to do is just embrace that. That's all. God asks us to embrace that. And he just changes our lives on a daily basis. And so he says, blood of my new covenant. And so we take and we drink. And so what I do is I'll just give you a couple minutes just to kind of think and reflect upon that sacrifice and, and then we'll kind of close in prayer together. So I'll give you a couple minutes just to kind of pray and talk to God.
And so why don't we uh, stand as, as we close in prayer together. <clears throat> so God, we just come before You for just in thankfulness for Your sacrifice for us. We just pray that You just continue to reveal to us and show us the depth of Your love for us, God. the grace that You have towards us. And we pray, God, that You would just fill our hearts and our souls to overflowing with that. Help us to embody that, Lord, and share that love and share that grace with other people, God. Help us to even start just within our own families, Lord. To shower that love, shower that grace just on the people that are closest to us, God. And our families, it just should be a great picture and example of just love. Just the love that you have for us. And for us being Christians, just to model the love that you have shown us through Christ. So we pray that you just touch our families, Lord, and show us just, you know, how we can show that love better, God. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. for the forgiveness of your sin that you offer to us. Thank you for your obedience to go into the cross for us. And we pray, Lord, that we would, like Cornelius, Lord, just be obedient as far as giving to you, Lord, praying to you, and having integrity in our lives. Because you've changed us from the inside out, God. And that's our motivation. It's not our motivation for any other reason, for people to see it, just to do like a behavior change, but because your Spirit has actually transformed us from the inside out. And so, we pray for that, we welcome that, and at times, sure, it's going to sting and be difficult, but we pray that you help us through it. And each day, Lord, help us to take advantage of that day and get that time with You that we know that we need to have. To get proper perspective about life. And to see where You might be working in our lives. So God, we thank You for this time. We pray that uh, You bless the rest of this day, Father. And You give us strength as we go forth in this week. And we thank you for the ways that you've blessed us. For the sacrifice you've given. And in Jesus' name, Amen. And so, uh, if that was you know, a significant time for you as far as taking communion, just come on up and I'd certainly like, love to pray with you about it. If that was uh, your first time ever taking communion, uh, because you, want to commit, cause you committed your life to Christ in a new and different way, please come on up to get some prayer. Otherwise, got food in the back. Hang on for a while. If you're interested in the mission,